Welcome to Not Quite Right. My name's Ed. And I'm Amanda. We're here. We're here. The shortlist episode. Exciting. So this time around, this episode, we're not going to just blab on for hours about everything. We did a lot of that in the last episode. (laughs) We're going to get straight to the point. So in this episode, we'll start off by announcing the wildcard entries, the two recipients of the $50 wildcard prize. Mm -hmm. And then we'll go through in reverse order, starting with our honourable mentions and then back through the shortlist and finally announce the winner, the January 2024 Not Quite Right prize. Oh my God. Okay, shall we get started? Do you have anything to add? One thing I wanted to add, which we've been hinting at over the past weeks on social media and so on, is that there's a little extra something in it for the winner. And I'm excited about this. I don't know if everybody will share my excitement, but I'm the kind of person who just like craves external Mm. validation so badly. And so I think this is a really exciting addition to the prize money. And that is we are going to be also giving out a trophy. Yes. (laughs) An actual physical physical trophy, which we'll ship wherever we need to across the world Mm -hmm. to the winner. Yes, and it's pretty cool looking trophy, if yeah, you it's ask me. Cool. And from our perspective, you know, this comp was really successful and we wanted to reinvest that back into you guys. You know, us nerds, we don't get too many physical, you know, rewards for our talents. Not like you might in sporting field, for example. And I think our worthy winner deserves a trophy. Yeah. And I mean money's great. Like you win money mm-hmm. and then you spend the money and mm-hmm. you're happy. Mm-hmm. But you can't show that off to other people. No, a trophy really. you can show. You stick it up on your mantelpiece and then- Mantelpiece? Or you just get what it- country are you from? <laughs> <laughs> or you buy a, one of those big stick chains- Stick it out in the shed. Wear it around your neck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really, righto. Really tell people what's up. So, if you're on the long list, you're in contention for the trophy as well. And this is something that will continue for future comps. And there will be future comps. So, we'll be running the prize quarterly. That's right. And our next prize is going to kick off on the 19th of April. That's right. So, same dates, 19th same date, to the yeah, 21st. Yeah. On account of the leap year, um, I think. So, if you really struggled with those clocks, like hopefully it should make sense again to you <laughs> yeah. this time around. And another trophy up for grabs, a new anti-prompt, new word and action prompt, and another whole bunch of fun. And in the meantime, we'll be doing our regular podcast episodes with our reviews and so on. And we hope you'll stick around for that too. And we hope for those of you who are new to the podcast, you might have just jumped on to hope to hear your name today. Check it out. Have a listen to the other stuff. See if it's for you. It's not for everybody, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, But uh, hopefully it'll be for some of you. And also follow us on social media as well. Like we just joined (laughs) Facebook and I'm pretty sure we have like six followers. And I'm one of them. (laughs) I don't even know if I'm following it, to be honest. Um, So if you are on Facebook, follow us there because we will be sharing more information there now that we're in the metaverse Mm -hmm. there. And we're also on Instagram and Twitter. I mean, all our contacts are on the website anyway, but we'd love to see you there. There are some extra bits and pieces if you are on those platforms that you'll see once you join in the conversation. And we want to see how you celebrate too. So, if your name's read today or even if it's not, we'd love to join in the journey with you. Just another quick order of business before we move on to the main event here. If you've purchased a critique package, those will be coming out and I would encourage you very strongly if you are brave enough to share your critiques on the forum, especially if you don't agree with something that mm. we've said to get some validation from your fellow entrants, but also just to like learn together, I guess, and yep. take from our feedback what you will and take it forward into hopefully the next comp with us. And like we said on the last episode, we are going to be limiting those critiques mm. going forward. So mm. enjoy it while it lasts. That's right. 
So tell me, I can't wait anymore. Who's our first wildcard winner? The first wildcard recipient is... Stick It to the Man by Carla Connolly. So Stick It to the Man is a story about a man who is infatuated with a a girl and decides to show up at a political rally and ends up being one of those people who stick themselves to (laughs) the pavement or something in protest of... Is that a thing? It is. Is it? Yeah, there's people who stick themselves to poles and things and then they stop... Whatever is happening from happening. With what? With glue? With, with actual glue. With glue. And, and it is glue in this story. So, of course, we both loved the pun. The fact that the anti-prompt was brought right up front, but kind of delivered late. So, the, the title, mm. Stick It to the Man, well, that's nothing in and of itself. But yep. once it's revealed at the very end of the story that this person is literally sticking it to the man, yep. that sort of gave the title new meaning. So, it was, I would say, up there with the best titles of the comp for that yep. reason. And it was a very strong story. I mean, I should emphasise that Mm. um, these wild cards, sometimes we pick them because they just missed out on the cut and they do deserve some recognition. And this was a perfect example because this one was so close, frustratingly close to earning an honourable mention instead. And I guess at the end of the day, this is kind of what this is, an honourable mention. That's right. There was a lot to love about this story. There was some really clever lines. There was definitely a sense of character in there. There was obviously the clever use of the anti-prompt and drawing that all together into a nice package, which Mm. sort of delivered as a kind of circular sort of story that fed back into the beginning. Yeah. Quite an original story, quite a contemporary story. Obviously, gluing yourself to things is a very new phenomenon, (laughs) and it read very fresh, and there was a nice voice of the protagonist. So, congratulations, Carla. Well done. Who's next? Who's our other wild card? Our second wild card is Rebel Rebel by Ella McAuliffe. Congratulations, Ella. That's so exciting. Ella's a young one, we learned, after awarding Mm. this. I mean, I think both you and I got the sense that this might be a young author, just by the subject matter in the under-18 category. Doing very, very well. So, congratulations, and we hope you keep writing. This is the, you may remember from the longest episode we actually called this story out, and this is the story that uses a character called Cleoche. Mm-hmm. It's essentially about a character who ignores the rule, avoid Cleoche. Ends up, I'm not sure if we could say becoming friends with Cleoche, but at least making contact yep. with Cleoche. And that was a good approach to the anti-prompt. Mm. And it was also quite a nice story. Yeah. Again, sense of character being developed there, which, as we've said many times, is a huge component of what makes a story successful. And although I guess probably the story was more cliche in terms of its plot, kind of typical high school kind of story format, nevertheless, it felt original and it felt like it was for this comp, you know, with the way that it was handled in terms of the anti-prompt. So, huge congratulations, Ella. And yeah, I hope you keep writing. You're obviously got a knack for Mm, it. So, well well done. done. So, now we get to the shortlist. Yeah, so the first two stories on the shortlist... Uh, our honourable mentions, they each pick up $50. And we're going to read them in no particular order because we couldn't agree on the order. That's right. I mean, it's impossible to sort of compare really because they are very different, but they each had strengths and weaknesses, I mm-hmm. suppose, but yep. mostly strengths. And it was hard to compare, but we wanted to call them both out and award a prize. Yeah, that's right. So you can think of these as fifth and sixth place honourable mentions. Or equal fifth, maybe. Yep. <laughs> and so we're going to read them. We're going to read them for your listening pleasure. Mm. The first story is The Way of the Bins by Bob Topping. It was my dull idea to clobber and bag the cat, and the odour 
is foul. My wife tells me to go. She won't use our wheelie bin or the neighbours, so by default, it's the beach. The wobbly bag smacks my thigh as I fast pace it down Coleman's Lane, along its dark and lonely length. Twelve steps and I sneak past the last house to reach the first set of bins. Clustered in pairs, their prominent red lids nestle under a pole offering lemony light. They're clamped to deter the likes of me, but I sausage shape the bag and squeeze it through the circular cutout on the lid. It feels like jelly and the smell lingers as I retreat a step or two into fearful stillness, like the watching shadows are all alone and trapped in heavy sleep. I didn't notice the old man by the other set of bins. A shabby figure, scarcely distinct, shaking scrappy shopping bags where the walkways seem to disappear. My wife says he's half human and does have teeth. She sees him while jogging with the girls in the afternoons, his grey hair all but hidden under an obscure and shapeless hat. The bins provide sustenance and cans and he raises his hat as they pass. And it's head lice, she says, by the funny manner he scratches his scalp. They say he whistles at the trees and barks at the dogs. Don't stare or he'll hiss. His sore eyes suck you in, I've been told. We give him a wide berth. Her shoulders shivered as she spoke. He hasn't heard my approach, or if he had, there's no sudden twist or turn or drop of his soiled bags. He's leaning over a bin, like a single-minded slug, one pale arm punching like a piston through the hole in the lid. Probably I shouldn't look, but he's a good distance away, and I slink back behind my bins. Something is there spilling from his bin, and the something I see is raw skin and torn, a feathered frame. The shape loosens and flaps and struggles in his clenched hand. It stretches a wing and he releases a leg. There's a garbled burst of words, not a language I recognise. The bird looks like a magpie. It opens its beak wide and preens. The old man rubs his hand along the bird's back and it jerks its timid head from side to side in motion to his own, and he grunts, and it tweets. And then the bird is gone, and I feel afraid if I move he'll turn and come by me, but he clasps a grubby bag and tilts his head in my direction. Beach walkers say he stuffs the bag with feathers from dead gulls and he disappears in the sea mists at night. I watch the old man start up the walkway, head down like he was crying, and wonder, how could they all be so sure? Congratulations, Bob. What an evocative story. Yeah. So what was it about this story that stood out to you? Yeah, so this was a strange one because from the perspective of story, it leaves a lot to be questioned. Yeah. Like, who is this man? Why is the protagonist taking a dead cat that they've clobbered out to the bins? It's all very creepy and sinister. Mm-hmm. And that's something we challenged uh, our daredevils on was, or at least one of them, about being sort of clear mm. and not leaving too many questions. And this story just totally defies what we just said, I suppose. So, what is it you think that I distinguishes think, them? Yeah, I, I think because so much of this story is understandable from the perspective of, I mean, you can you can imagine the man who is being observed there mm. and what kind of person they might be. Mm. And so there's not something that is missing from your understanding, but what is strange are the details that inserted, the, the kind mm. of things that he does, like bark at dogs and mm. uh, search through bins looking for dead birds, yeah. which is a strange thing to do. Mm. Meanwhile, the protagonist is trying to stuff a dead cat into a bin. 
So it's all very strange and creepy and it just sets up this mood and this atmosphere that I think is quite compelling. But I think the lack of that conclusion and perhaps something missing from the story is why it's not higher up the list. Yeah, I would say so too. I think there were some lingering questions here that maybe we're leaving a little bit too much to Mm. our imaginations to fill in the blanks on. Um, Like, why is there a living bird in the bin? Yeah. And what's wrong with it? Did he put it there? What's the cat got to do with anything? And I guess, you know, when we talk about character too, that we have this main character, but it's not clear what the relationship between the characters is. Like, this is more of an observation of some pretty interesting stuff, but nevertheless an observation rather than a plot-heavy story. What I really loved, though, and what I think probably I didn't notice on first reading was the use of the anti-prompt. In the first sentence. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm assuming this entire story, and I could be wrong, but I'm assuming it was all inspired by the idea of letting the cat out of the bag. Mm. And the cat is just like seeping out of the bag, which is pretty disgusting and creepy. But I can get on board with uh, something a bit different and a bit shocking. And I really liked that take. I thought that was clever to just sort of take it literally, but take it into a creepy direction. Yeah. The other thing I really liked about this story and what made it stand out for me was just how original it was. Yeah. You know, and how vivid and evocative and just, you know, you can smell it. And you, yeah. I, I don't know if it's maybe potentially a bit more relatable for Aussies, like because you're describing a particular type of bin mm. um, that we have with the red lid and the cutout and all that sort of thing. And I'm not sure to what extent that's relatable to people in other parts of the world. But for me, like I was there on the beach and look, who hasn't, I'm, I'm guilty of taking the prawn heads down to the park bin after <laughs> after Christmas, you know, because you got a bit of overflow from your own bin. I've never put a dead cat in there, but definitely some dead prawn bits. So, yeah. And that's the thing. It's, it's kind of almost relatable. Yeah. Like you're almost on board with the scenario, but there's just these details that throw it a little bit askew. Yeah. That get you. Exactly. So, I mean, that's why it rates an honourable mention and congratulations to Bob. So, you'll be taking home $50 prize. Well done. Well done. So, our next honourable mention. And I'm, I apologise in advance that I'm not going to be able to do what I'm assuming is a lovely southern accent <laughs> to go with, with this story. Is The Early Bird Catches the Worm by Anne Wilkins. Nana collects sayings. She's got one for every kind of situation. This morning, she's trying to wake Daisy and I, and she's at the end of our bed, pulling our covers off, telling us the early bird catches the worm. Daisy and I just want to sleep. We don't want to catch worms, but there's no stopping Nana. Come on, get a move on, sleepyheads. We tumble out of bed to the bathroom while Nana makes our bed. She doesn't stop talking, even though Daisy and I have stopped listening. Mummy used to say that Nana could talk the hind legs off a donkey when she got going, and she's definitely going this morning. Nana's got lots of nice things in her bathroom. Trinkets, she calls them. There's a little white clamshell that holds soap, a coloured fish and fluffy towels. The soap smells like you can eat it. Daisy picks it up, but it's stuck to the clamshell, and the next thing you know, the clamshell falls to the floor and breaks into two halves. Daisy bursts into tears, and Nana comes in, all in a flutter. Let's see, what's the problem, sweetheart? She picks up the broken clamshell. Why, this old thing? I'd been meaning to replace that. In fact, you've done me a favour, Daisy. Nana wipes Daisy's tears and gives her a hug. I'm sort of feeling left out, just standing there, watching their two halves hugging like a mend. I'm almost wishing it had been me that had broken something when Nana sees my face. Oh, come on in, pet. 
she pulls me into her arms for one of her great bear hugs, and I get to crying too, not about the clamshell, but about the other broken things. After breakfast, Daisy and I ask about the worms we're meant to be catching. Nana laughs and tells us it's a saying, but that we can help her in the garden. Nana's garden is just like her bathroom, all fancy. She's even got a butterfly shed where she takes all the caterpillars and gives them a good safe home till they're hatched from the cocoons and can fly away. Nana's good at looking after things, keeping them safe. Mama comes back from the hospital early the next morning. Her right eye is all black and blue from the punch that slipped from Daddy. Mama spills out her tears and Nana's stolen out one of her bear hugs. Keep them safe just a bit longer, Mama whispers, till I get things sorted. It'll be all right, Dove, says Nana. Tomorrow's a new day. After Mama's gone, Daisy and I curl up like caterpillars on Nana's couch, not ready to fly. Nana tells us a whole can of worms has been opened up and that the worm has turned. Daisy and I don't know what any of that means, but I heard Nana call Mama Dove before, and I'm hoping the early bird is finally going to catch that worm. Well done, Anne. We've talked about having, I guess, a story within a story or a story Mm -hmm. under the surface, and this is a great example of that. What's actually happening here is being told in between the lines, if you will. Like mm-hmm. There's a story being hinted at there about a mother who's given her children to Nana to look after because there's been some sort of, I guess, domestic incident. And so it's all told within through this naivety of a, of a child. But as adults, we can read between the lines and, mm. and work out what's going on. And it sort of comes through piece by piece, but in a way that's satisfying and builds on itself. Yeah. I, I really like the voice of this piece. I mean, like I said, I can't do it justice. I don't have a lovely, what I'm assuming, Southern as- accent. I can't do Nana. But I read it in that voice in my head. And I think that was what was really strong for me because it was quite unique reading it, like I got a very strong sense. Mm. And again, it's another one where I saw the title and immediately recalled basically the entire story. There's a few references to worms um, throughout. So we've got the cliche prompt handled kind of in your face, but in another way quite nicely because it sort of all wraps up together. So we've got the worm in the beginning, you know, the early bird Mm. catches the worm. And then we've got the caterpillars turning into butterflies And by the end, we're talking about opening up a can of worms and the worms turned at the end. And this is like a great example, too, of using specific details in your story that fit the narrative and fit like we were talking about Poe's single effect. Mm. So the idea of Nana looking after caterpillars until they're ready to fly and then that being used as a metaphor very explicitly later on as the little girl says that she's not ready to fly yet. They're just caterpillars wrapped up like caterpillars. And to then go back to that worm idea as well, I thought was very elegantly done. Yeah, it's it's something that we could all learn from, like which which details are you going to choose to share in this story? So, yeah, congratulations, Anne. Well done. Um, we really enjoyed that piece. Well done, Anne. Ooh, now we get to our placeholders. That's right. On to the fourth place for a $100 prize is Dean Corey with a funny story. And Dean, we found out, or I found out at least, is one of the judges of Furious Fiction. That's right. Yeah. So, anyone who follows me on Twitter will see that uh, I've gotten to know Dean on Twitter. I didn't know he was the judge of Furious Fiction until, I don't know, a little while back. Um, So, I promise this isn't like buttering you up. Um, We had no idea that this was your (laughs) entry. We do judge all these blinds. Yeah. Okay. A Funny Story by Dean Corey. Lion Dancing Night 
at the Laughing Fox and all the usual lines were in attendance. Jaw, plunging neck and visible panty were busy taking selfies at the bar as receding hair looked on forlornly. In a corner booth, Land and On were having their usual high-pitched screaming match, while Bathroom banged on the door for Coke to come out. A typical evening. At table four, Pickup returned to his friends, trio of drinks in hand. No luck with Jamaican me crazy, he reported above the country music. There must be an easier way, pondered Stream, taking two of the glasses and handing one to Punch. Anyone know any good jokes? Punch asked. The other two groaned. We're not setting you up anymore, barked Pickup, spilling some of his drink. You always ruin them. Remember Rabbi? Kiwi? Knock knock. Hey, she was a stalker. Kept turning up at my door. Okay, maybe not her, but what about that cute Irish joke? Look, we just weren't compatible, although her dad liked me. Of course he liked you. He's a dad joke and you're a lame punchline. Punch flinched. I'm just old fashioned. Besides, what's wrong with why the long face? Pick up and stream exchanged glances just as Tag appeared, all sweat and smiles, boot scooting off the dance floor. I'm loving it, she announced, flopping into a chair. Got milk? Plot also emerged from the throng. Is this night going anywhere or what? She asked the folk of table four. They shrugged. Uh, okay, I'm going to hang out with clothes and pipe. He always has plans. Pickett's already waiting out front. Who's in? Pickup and Stream literally jumped at the chance, waving their goodbyes. You sure you don't want to go with them? Punch asked his friend. Think different, Tag replied, and they sipped in Shania Twain-tinged silence. A blonde appeared collecting empties, tray in hand. Why the long face? Punch offered. I'm not that kind of joke. She scowled and marched off. Punch sighed. Maybe I do need to change my ways. Eat fresh? Yeah, Tag, maybe. I always thought I'd find the right joke. We'd have a few laughs, nothing serious. Because you're worth it, Tag nodded sagely. And that's when Punch saw her, across the crowded dance floor, swaying to the music near the door. All jokes aside, could this be the one? Holy shit, Punch ventriloquized. I think I have to go. Just do it, Tag squealed. He leapt up, just as the line dancers moved in right-angled unison, creating an instant wall of denim and tassels. Trapped, Punch lost sight of her. Go around, honey, called B from the line. But by the time he reached the door, she was gone. Punch scanned the bar. Nothing. Outside, Punch stared at the dark street, defeated, to a muffled twangy soundtrack. It began to rain. Perfect. A boot scraped against the pavement behind him. He turned. She smiled. Then she spoke. A horse walks into a bar. Okay, so you can't stop laughing. I can't, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing. And um, I, th- I saw in the forum, I think, a couple of people commenting that they thought this was the one I basically live tweeted saying I was laughing out loud, and it was mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> confirmed. This this one tickled me absolutely. This is my perfect sense of humour, which is what I like to call intellectual silliness. But, you know, if we're talking about having a reaction, an emotional response to a story, like laughing yeah, really true. hard is a good reaction to a story. And I did. I thought this was very clever. And it was very layered. It mm. wasn't just like leaning on one joke too hard. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff in there. And I have to say tagline is my new favourite yeah. character. <laughs> yeah. You got me if you're going to be saying stuff like I'm loving it when you first uh, <laughs> jump onto the scene. All the lines had a different character that suited their, their Yeah, and we're role. in a comedy club and that's why the jokes are there. And, mm. But we're line dancing yeah. and listeners will either want to go back and listen again or read it once it's published mm. on the website because um, there's a lot of little sneaky jokes you might have missed as well. But 
Yeah, congratulations, Dean. That was really good. I'm not surprised you did a effective entry because you would have some knowledge too of what yeah. it's like to uh, to stand out from the crowd. Mm. And you did. So well done. Absolutely. We're loving it. Now for a pretty sharp about face in tone, we have in third place. As Far As The Eye Can See by Tess Allen. Five seconds, maybe ten. That was all it took. I'd closed my eyes after another sleep-disturbed night. When I'd looked up, she was gone. Now my throat tightens as if compressed by invisible hands. Sand flies as I leap from my towel. Blue sky has been replaced by grey. White-tipped waves crash as my eyes dart down the shoreline. To my left, there's the lighthouse. To my right, it's just beach as far as the eye can see. The few other families dotted along the sand seem unmoved by or unaware of my panic. Kids with sand-covered legs donning wide-brimmed hats play. I race to a family nearby. My daughter, I can't find her. Have you seen her? I shriek. The woman stands. Behind dark sunglasses, her expression is a mix of confusion and concern. No, sorry, what's she wearing? What was she wearing? Her favourite rainbow bathers? Her flamingo hat? My thoughts like a maelstrom swirl. I shake my head, lost for words. Instead, I sprint to the water's edge. Lucy! Lucy, where are you? I try to swallow, mouth parched. Lucy, I croak. Feeling a warm hand on my bare shoulder, I turn to see the woman beside me. What's she wearing? How old is she? She asks. I close my eyes and exhale pushing the words out. A flamingo hat. Blue bathers, I say. She's only four. Hot tears spill down my cheeks. I'll get help, she says, rushing back to her kids. The youngest wraps chubby arms around her mother's legs. I double over, holding my stomach as if I've been punched. This can't be happening. I look towards our towels, laid out side by side. Lucy's sand toys beside them. A pink shovel protruding from the yellow bucket. I rack my brain, recalling the morning. We'd walked from our beach house, along the row of peppermint trees, their bare brown trunks lining the path, then past the ice cream kiosk, flip-flops flicking sand as Lucy ran, giggling along the track, bucket in hand. There was no breeze then, the ocean flat, an inviting aquamarine. Seagulls squawk, bringing me back to the present. I stare at the lighthouse, a beacon. With its red and white stripes, Lucy said it looked like a candy cane. Standing, I run. My forearms tingle as the sun beats down. Piles of seaweed line the beach, matted brown tangles rotting. I run until my lungs force me to stop. Chest heaving, I pause. Candace! I turn to see my husband, Paul, rushing towards me. You found her? I ask. When he reaches me, he won't meet my eyes. Silent as he pulls me into his arms. I push back. Where is she? Honey, let's get you home. Fingernails dig in as he grasps my shoulders, guiding me up the path, past the ice cream kiosk, along the row of peppermint trees, brown trunks lined with posters. I see the photograph, read the words. Missing. Reward offered. Lucy Morgan, age four. Definitely a change of tone and mm. a highly fraught situation, I guess, for any parent. Mm. unimaginable situation. And I think what stuck out to me about this story is not just the description of the events, also the ending 
I think is is surprising and unexpected. Mm. There's a little bit of a twist in the end as we find out that it's not necessarily an event that's happened just now, but it's a reliving, re-experiencing mm. event. Adds another layer of trauma to the story, and I think it's a well-written story with a with a strong ending, mm. and that's why it's here. And I think too, the ending reveals something that's sort of hidden a little bit in the beginning, which is that she mentions that she's woken from another sleepless mm, night effectively. Right. And so that brings new meaning once you realize why she's been sleepless. Mm. You know, she could have just been a mother who's struggling, you know, <laughs> to get some sleep around her kids. But in fact, we find out that she's sleepless for a different reason and clearly to the point of becoming delusional, yeah. I suppose. And I think to me, what stood out was that this was one that I really felt something from the first time I read it mm. and then again and again with every time I read it. And I think it is another good example of post-single effect of, well, everything's building that tension. The little things that she's noticing, the bucket in the sand, the colour of the ocean when it was so inviting, as it's got that creepy edge to it because you fear what the worst of what inviting a little four-year-old into the ocean might have meant in the end. The idea of the lighthouse being compared to a candy cane, mm. like all of these little details were very carefully selected and, and I think very effective in leading into that real feeling of anxiety that we share with our character. And there is strong character here by the end that we've really developed an investment in finding Lucy yeah. by the end of this story. And so it hits even harder when we realise what's going on. I think there were quite a few stories that attempted this kind of twist mm. as well, like mm -hmm. the surprise delusion twist. Mm. Mm -hmm. And this is the one that did it best. I think so too. Yeah, there were a few. I think we mentioned in the previous episode that for whatever reason, this, the cliche anti-prompt brought a few stories about people with dementia yes. and things like that. And and in a few of them, it was revealed late that they mm. were someone with dementia and that was impacting the relationship with the, I guess, the point of view character in the story. But yes, in this case, I do think the twist worked. The story sort of relied on it mm. and it was effective. So, well done, Tess. Yes, well done. Beautiful story. And I hope it's not from real experience. So, the runner-up, second place with a, a neat $500 prize. Mm. Bless This Mess by Chad Frame. I just want to say with our second placeholder, Congratulations on rising to the challenge mm. of doing what we explicitly recommended not That's doing, right. but invited you to do, which was to challenge our assumptions about poems. Yeah. So, this story is a poem and he calls out that the poem is written in decasyllabic tercets, which I believe is 10, ten um, syllables. syllables right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And a tercet is like three lines that go together, right? Yeah. Like a, like a pair, but three. <laughs> <laughs> a trio, if you will. Yeah. So, I'm, I'll do my best to read this, and I'm not necessarily going to read it in the cadence it is intended, I think, because one of the things I felt about this story is that it reads quite well as prose mm. as well. Mm -hmm. So, here it is, Bless This Mess by Chad Frame. Dawn breaks like a dropped jar of marmalade over night's black marble counter, and yet it really happened. I'm standing here, half-lit in the kitchen, half-asleep, dumbstruck, by strewn sticky shards of everything that once made sense. Then I remember why it no longer does. You've been gone three years, and every morning in the small space between night and day, sleep and wakefulness, fragile glass jar and unyielding surface, 
I almost forget. Ignorance is bliss. The cliché printed on the stretched canvas once hung in the hall with all your garish mass-market home store decor. All gone now. But sometimes I forget. But I remember how we met. The personal you posted. Looking for someone to swap secrets with. Two strangers in a padded booth sharing greasy spoon breakfast and the absolute worst thing we'd ever done. It was easy to confide in someone who didn't know anyone I knew, whose lips were studded with toast crumbs glued on by smeared marmalade. I told you about the time I ignored a stray dog whining for food. Its old eyes roomy as fogged headlights. How the next day I drove by its crushed body in the road, those same eyes still open. You wiped your mouth with a cheap napkin, looked me in the eyes and told me you'd hit something with your car one night when you'd glanced away from the road to check your phone. We asked for the check, left, decided your apartment was closer, and an hour later we took turns on top of one another while an I'd-rather-be-knitting throw pillow watched from the chair in the corner. Would you really? I asked in the afterglow, nodding to the throw. Do you want the truth? He smirked, lying there curled in the circle of my arms. Always. I murmured, kissing the top of your head. But this morning I'm alone with my mess of a life that once was a half-full jar, now a crushed wreck on the floor and counter, streaks and gobs of orange everywhere. By habit, I reach for the bless this mess tea towel, tucked through the door of the stove, but it's gone. You're gone. I have a secret I haven't told. I knew you'd be driving when I texted, I love you. Knew you might not resist looking and answering back. You punched the brakes too late, They'd wheeled you off by the time I arrived. There was still glass everywhere. There was blood, sticky sweet as streaks of jam. Everything happens for a reason. Yes, I know. A woman appears behind me with paper towels. My husband says if he catches you here one more time, he'll call the cops. Finger held to my lips, I open the sliding door, quiet as a roadside body, slip out the way I came into secretless dawn and leave the house I lost when I lost you. So congratulations, Chad, on getting there with a poem. Although not being a poet myself, you call it a poem. I don't know about that. Yeah. It reads like prose and I don't know about decasyllabic (laughs) tercets or whatever, but the way it read to me was quite flowing. Yeah, I agree. When I first saw this on the page, you know, and we've expressed our- It was prejudice. (laughs) Our prejudice, yeah, our (laughs) scepticism towards poetry in in a flash fiction competition. But once you start reading it, and for me, I found that just reading it as if it were prose, ignoring the, the mm. line breaks, it, it reads as kind of poetry-like prose, I guess mm. you would say. Mm-hmm. What is poetic, I guess, about the content is that there are certain strange details mm. in the story, which the reality of those details you're never sure about. I mean, the mm. ending where the protagonist is in a house looking at a smashed jar of, um, of marmalade and you question what really is going on. She doesn't belong in that house. He, right? So he. he, I mean, it's not specified, is it? And it doesn't matter, really, but um, that was my assumption. No, no, you're right, I think. But you don't really, you're not really sure. Mm. What what are the things that have happened since the protagonist has um, sent the other person off a cliff, basically, in their car? Yeah, and so that was something, I guess, that I would challenge about this story. Mm. I I had no reservations about the quality of the prose whatsoever, but Perhaps some of the logic in the plot just didn't quite land for me. Like, why are you texting this person, I love you, and 
almost it sounds as if you're intentionally setting out to kill them and then you're in the home acting like a victim about it because you're so sad they're gone. There was never any motivation conveyed about why you would want to see them dead and to cause that. Like that's a pretty extreme thing to cause. Well, that's the most extreme thing, right, Mm. to cause someone's death. So I guess it's a bit of a hanging question, but whose house are you in now? Has this house been sold? Was this this woman's house previously or your shared house? Mm. That's never explained. So there's some... I guess some logic questions, but overall there was a real feeling and a sense of character that was developed. And the real compelling detail for me was this sharing of the worst possible secret. Yeah, that really was just having that uh, personal ad to Mm. share the worst possible secret. And I think that links in. I mean, when you talk about what's the motivation Mm. of sending that text when Mm. they knew that it would probably lead to a death, maybe there's some element of inability to control Mm. yourself from doing these bad things or wanting to do these bad Mm. things. But that's not, I guess, fully explored or teased out in the story. So that's something that you can bring to that as a a reader, which is great. That's an extra layer that you can take away. Uh, And that's something that this story did have. It did certainly have extra layers that you could do with as you pleased. And I guess just that satisfying circularity as well, like we're going to share about the dog and mm. hitting the dog because you're looking at your phone and then that yes. is ultimately your demise. So yeah. that's obviously satisfying for a reader as well to just see how things come together and why these details are being shared. They're all there for a reason. I just want to call out the pacing here and the way that the various events are linked I found really um, masterful. So mm. you know, we asked for the check left, decided your apartment was closer, and an hour later we took turns on top of one another while and I'd rather be knitting throw pillow watched from the chair in the corner. Would you really? I asked in the afterglow, nodding to the throw. Like I think that's a really good sequence of mm. how one thing follows another and, and observing a detail, linking that back into the story, but later. Mm. And it's it's just this stream of thoughts and events that follows through the story, but you're not in one place the whole Mm. time. You're kind of dynamic. You're moving Mm. through the past and the present through these events and painting this picture of a relationship, not painting the whole picture, but Mm. painting enough for it to be compelling. And it it takes me back to the story last round with the dog shitting on the carpet, um, that we are seeing a whole relationship through these little snapshots. Mm. And at no point does this story sort of bite off more than it can chew in that regard. It's it's all linked and it all makes sense as a cohesive whole. Yeah. And the little cliches, the bless this mess. Mm, that was nice, yeah. wasn't it? it? We talked in the previous episode about some of the ways in which the cliches were brought in in a way that felt natural. Yeah. And a bless this mess kind of print does feel like a very natural home for yeah. a cliche in a real story. And so that slid in very nicely. So congratulations, Chad. Beautiful story. My challenge to you now is to just do it in prose next time. But, you know, good for you. You did what you wanted to do, and I really respect that. We had a few people who challenged us with, like, sort of tentative hermit Mm -hmm. crab fiction after we'd sort of said, don't do hermit (laughs) crab fiction. But I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. Like, we don't actually want you to stop doing what you're doing. We love that you proved us wrong. So congratulations. Yeah, and really, like, the the format doesn't matter at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. like, it's the, the story. writing shines through, exactly. and that's what this is. Once again, it is quite steamy here in the studio, which feels very appropriate mm. as we read our winning entry. This is the winner of the January 2024 Not Quite Right Prize, 
winner of the $1,000 cash prize and trophy. It Never Rains But It Pours by Athena Law. Moist. Just wanted to get that one out of the way, but I know you've probably curled your lip and flared your nostrils after reading it. Me, I love the word and the feeling, the very idea of it. But what I love most is rain. Heavy, pounding, relentless rain. Here in the humid tropics amongst the palm trees, the rain spills from the skies for weeks. I don't let it dampen my spirits, quite the opposite. I rejoice. It doesn't take long before everything is moist. Ceilings, walls, clothes, skin. The tourists battle against the wet, but I don't need to anymore. I shower in my clothes, then lie on the bed under my ceiling fan, relishing the whap, whap, whap of the blades sluicing through heavy air. I'm the person who stands too close behind you in the supermarket queue. Nobody notices the short lady in the straw hat and red sunglasses, just a harmless local. But whenever I spot a bare tanned back in the middle of summer, I sidle near enough to touch it. Sometimes I think my heart bangs so loud in my chest that you'll hear it. My palms are damp with need, fingers itching to draw a trail through the fine drops of sweat beating across the oily slick of your shoulder blade. And you? You can be anybody. I'm not fussy. Where else can I find you? It goes without saying it must be somewhere private, just for us. The idea arrives with blinding simplicity, and I prepare with care. I relish the overnight wait deep in the rainforest, car windows open. I hear the final flurries of birds settling in before the nocturnal creatures come out to play. All around the lush drip, drip of wetness sliding off vines and leaves down to the pungent forest floor. It's early when I hear you coming. I slide from the car, peeling my thighs from the sweaty seat and step onto the track. What do you see emerging from the trees in the pale dawn light? Only a short lady in a straw hat. Harmless. But it's what I see that makes my heart thud and my palms damp. There's two of you. We're told to look after tourists, that they're the lifeblood of our isolated town. Am I not simply upholding my civic duty to warn backpackers of the predatory crocodile, which took a fisherman at this very spot yesterday? Am I not caring enough to ferry you back to the safety of my own home? I pour you both glasses of sweet iced tea for the shock. The old ceiling fan punches through the humidity, causing darling goosebumps across your golden youthful skin. It's a mere moment before you slump in your chairs, staring at me in mute bewilderment. Cat got your tongues, I ask caringly, as I drag you into your new bedroom. And now we're all going to live happily ever after. Well done, Athena. This is a really great story. So I love how visceral everything is for the first half It's just kind of you're soaking in it, basically. Mm, Literally. Soaking in the moisture (laughs) and never really sure where it's going to go. Mm. But it goes somewhere a little bit unexpected. And, yeah, it's great all the way through. The the use of the prompts, the anti-prompt. I think, you know, in the 
in the final sentence where we're going to live happily ever after, which is a, a standard way of ending a fairy tale, but it's mm. not really a fairy tale ending. <laughs> um, it may be for the protagonist, but definitely not for, <laughs> for her two victims. So unexpected, well-written and uh, very, as I said, visceral. And completely original. And I understand that Athena's Aussie and you probably wouldn't even need to tell me because this has been our <laughs> life. Oh, yeah, God. <laughs> It's been a very humid summer and uh, to just read such an original story that feels like it's just been inspired purely by how bloody hot it is, yeah. is just wonderful. I love to see that. I loved that your first sentence was moist. Like, honestly, you're challenging us from the get-go there. Yeah. Although I did recently read someone tweeting about how basically it was unfair that the word moist got cancelled by yeah. everyone. <laughs> there is a bit of pushback happening on that, I think. But, you know, you've really taken the discomfort of that word and to the nth degree completely, and I enjoyed every second of it. To me, this was a standout the very first time I read it, not just for the first line at all, but for the way that you built on that uncomfortable feeling of being sticky. Yeah. But like... But relishing in it. Relishing in it. It, it was sick. Or reveling in it. Reveling in it, swimming in it. You know, absolutely disgusting and beautiful and bravo. Congratulations. You are the winner. And uh, I hope you look forward to receiving your trophy in the mail. All of our prize winners, we will be contacting you shortly mm -hmm. for your details to get your prize money to you. We just want to leave a little bit of a window to give you time to, I guess, have the lovely surprise of hearing your yes. name read out on the podcast, but we'll be in contact about that. And I mean, if you're disappointed that you didn't make the shortlist this time around, please know that there was a lot of close calls there too. Yeah. yeah. So, a lot of stories that were considered, some that sort of made their way in and out of our consideration at different times. But I hope you'll agree that these stories, all being very different, have something special to offer. Yeah. And if you're looking at improving, just listen to the last episode. Mm, absolutely. I think these stories really exemplified a lot of the points we were making yeah. there about what can make your story stand out and, and what really delivers impact. Mm. And so congratulations to our winners, to our shortlist, and thanks to everyone who entered. Yeah, we really consider it a huge honour to read your writing. You should all be very proud. Every one of you is, you know, if you need a certificate with your name on it to say keep writing, I will gladly sign <laughs> it because every one of you should be writing. And, you know, you can't hit the gong every time, I suppose, but the more you write, the more success you'll have. And, right. and hopefully you do take, whether or not you made a listing, I hope you take something meaningful away from this that you can use to grow or to improve, or to just tell us to fuck off and keep doing it your way. Like, whatever it is, I hope that you leverage what we've shared with you here in this round of the comp to go on to bigger and better things. Another thing to bear in mind is that this may not be the end for your story. Whether or not you made the list, why don't you shop it around? See if there's any lit mags. Um, there's plenty of online mags that accept flash fiction. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, I've had some entries that I've written for competitions that didn't make any sort of list that have since gone on to be published. And that's its own little validation. Sometimes you get paid, sometimes not, but nevertheless to see your stories in print is wonderful. So for all of you who, you know, especially if you think we're dead wrong and your story is the best, <laughs> I encourage you to find a happy home for it. And we would love to know yeah, if you absolutely. do, please share with us because we love to celebrate your success. I have every faith that some of those stories are going to get published. So good luck with your that's hearing. Right. 
They say the best revenge is living a good life. That's right. And if you want to read the winning stories, the shortlisted stories, we'll be posting those on the website shortly. So if you want to go back and bask in those, you can. And that's it for the January 2024 Not Quite Right Prize for Flash Fiction. But as we've said, we will be back in just over a month. Yeah. Six weeks. Yeah, another chance to shine. So we're looking forward to that. And we look forward to catching up with you guys again in our next regularly scheduled programming of the podcast where we'll be talking about the poems of Lewis Carroll and talking about poems in general. Yep. And I might have another little special treat for you. I'm worried. You should be. But until then. Right on. Right on. Thank you for listening to Not Quite Right. If you'd like to reach us via email or follow us on social media, you can find all the links on our website, notquiterightpodcast.com. That's W-R-I-T-E. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcasting app. Something doesn't seem quite right. I'm losing the plot. We've been recording now for... Okay, it's 10 o'clock. We started at about one something. So that's what we're dealing and with. And I am moist right now. Oh, it is hot in here. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs>